Hay un embichado en el pueblo. Estás asustando a mi familia. ¡Lo he visto en mis propios ojos! ¡Estuve con él! Esto va a ser un infierno. encontrar a la bestia antes de que nazcan más los tiempos de la fe se terminan rápido Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. This is Mike. Joining me, as always, it's Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom? How are you doing? Greetings and salutations, Argentinian farmers. Ooh, pulled that one out of my ass. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah, I'm doing pretty well. How the hell are you doing? Doing well. Uh, ending the weekend on another episode, talking horror and... Uh, I don't always like to predict, but I have a feeling we will enjoy this one, or we will would have enjoyed this one much more than our last movie. But uh, who knows? <laughs> we haven't we really haven't talked much about this one either uh, ahead of the episode, so we'll find out. But also with us, it's Don and Ellie. What's up, Don? Yeah, what's going on? Um, I'm probably going to be um, writing Venom's coattails on this one, so I'm uh, really excited about it. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, we are covering the movie When Evil Lurks, and this actually came out in the same week as The Exorcist uh, Believer. So uh, we, this this one is actually considered a bonus episode because we will be also recording an episode on VHS 85. So I guess... You know, they'll be released around the same time, so I guess it doesn't really matter which one's considered bonus and which one's the official new one, but uh, yeah, it'll be an extra release this week. So, When Evil Lurks, IMDb says, in a remote village, two brothers find a demon-infected man just about to give birth to evil itself. They decide to get rid of the man, but merely succeed in spreading the chaos. And oh, is it ever spread. So let's find out. Uh, if spreading the chaos equaled a good movie. So, Venom, what are your general thoughts on When Evil Lurks? I'd like to make a personal request of David Gordon Green. I need him to watch this movie because this is what an innovative demonic possession movie looks like, not the garbage that you released to the world last week. Um, th this movie is a goddamn experience. I mean, it it's hard to even call this a film. This was something that just really rocked me right to my core the first time I saw it. Obviously, saw last week in theaters, watched it again this week. And on second watch, it does not lose any of its uh, shock value, any of its surprises. I it's funny, because watching it the second time... And, and you're anticipating some of these deaths, and it's like, 
it almost takes longer because you know it's coming. Because when you're watching it the first time, almost every death in this movie is like a shock. They they come out of nowhere. And then when you're watching it the second time and you know they're coming, like I said, it, it almost adds to the dread of watching it. Like, all right, do it. <laughs> what am I waiting for? Damn it. And it's and it's not a bad thing. That is definitely not a bad thing. This film is filled with some spectacular performances, um, some some just beautiful cinematography, a great simple score. The score is not too complex. He doesn't really rely, you know, uh, Damien doesn't rely on his score as much as, say, like a Carpenter. Uh, and again, not a knock on Carpenter, who is, of course, my favorite horror director. Um, there are set pieces and images in this movie that stay with you long after you leave the theater. Uh, the entire week in between my viewings, between my first and second viewing, there are images in here that never left my head. I, I didn't go more than 24 hours in that week without thinking about some of the images that we get in this film. Just, you know, a disturbing, gory shocking, uh, painful, <laughs> uncomfortable. Uh, just There's so many adjectives that can be applied to the set pieces of this movie. About the only complaint I've really heard about this movie is the slight ambiguity of its ending. We, we get a definitive ending. Like, we, we do understand. Like, the ending's not confusing in any way. It's just, it feels like there's more story to tell. Um I, I hope they're not setting up for a sequel. Uh, Damien, to my knowledge, has never done a sequel in his short film career, so hopefully he keeps up with that. But it definitely leaves you with a couple of questions. I wouldn't say it leaves you with more questions than answers, but it still does leave you with a couple of questions that, you know, really kind of peck at your your brain, like just what is going on? What happened here? What is about to happen? Like, I mean, the events of the first... I would love to see the first 24 hours in this town after the end of this movie, because it definitely seems like some major, major shit is going to go down. Or maybe nothing's going to go down. Maybe it's just going to be um, kind of evil winning quietly, not making a big scene, not going on a rampage, but just maybe hitting people one at a time and winning quietly. Who knows? The point is... You know, uh, the point is, is that the only complaint I've heard about this film is the ending, which I don't really agree with. I like endings like this. Um, I don't feel like the movie just stopped. Like, there are a lot of situations. There have been movies in the past where it doesn't feel like the movie ended. It feels like it just stopped, like in the middle of a storyline. This one is definitely not that. There's a definitive ending. Um, there's a definitive end of the story for the for the brothers and the family that we're following. And just, oh, man, I, I'm going to be all over myself loving on this movie. There's just about nothing negative that I can say about this. And, yeah, folks, if you haven't figured it out by now, this is easily my number one film of 2023 thus far. This is the latest in the year I've ever seen a number one contender. Uh, usually my number one movies of the year happen in the first half of the of the year for some reason. This time, man, uh, Damien Rugna drops this absolute fucking gem 
on us. And whether you like this more than Terrified, I mean, that's going to be a tough one. I'm still kind of on the fence on which I prefer. Terrified also was just one of those experiences that came out of nowhere. This little Spanish horror movie that you just weren't anticipating anything from. And from the opening scene, it just grabs you and it never lets you go. This movie takes a little bit longer getting to where it's going than Terrified did. Like I said, Terrified, it's literally the opening scene. Um, you know, we've got a major, major uh, horror set piece that really sets everything off. This one, you know, we it, it's a little bit more of a – I wouldn't go so far as to say slow burn, but the first act is definitely slower than Terrified. There's a lot less horror elements in it. But what is there is so impactful. And, man, I mean, right from the very first death scene, which is just, like I said, completely out of nowhere. You just did not anticipate that scene going that way. And most of the horror set pieces in this movie, you don't anticipate where they're going to go and kind of what direction they're going to drive this movie into. So, yeah, I'm just going to say this was a... Just disturbing, um, unsettling, unnerving, uncomfortable film to watch that leaves you with an even bigger sense of dread than you're feeling throughout the majority of the runtime. This is an absolute goddamn masterpiece, in my opinion. Like I said, I'm on the fence whether – because Terrified, I gave a 10 out of 10. I love every second of Terrified. I, I kind of have to live with this movie a little bit longer before I can really say it's a 10 out of 10. Um, there are some minor things that are kind of questionable. I, I know one of the things that I always complain about with horror movies is characters making poor decisions. And our main character in this movie, Pedro, he does that. He makes some poor decisions. But you know what? You accept him because he believes he's doing the right thing. He's not He's not doing the wrong thing because he's a vapid idiot who doesn't know any better. He thinks he's doing the best that he can for his family, you know, for his brother, for everyone around him. And he just keeps making mistake after mistake, even though multiple times in the movie there are multiple characters that tell Pedro we can't make mistakes we can't be impatient we have to think about what, what we do but you know pedro is you know a divorced dad he's he obviously wants to save his kids from this situation that they're solidly in the middle of and he's doing his best unfortunately he's just not a very bright person that's the thing like what, like when you see a teenager making a stupid decision you chalk it up for, as a youthful indiscretion this guy is an older person who's actually lived a good amount of his life, but he just doesn't seem like he's a very intelligent person. He, yeah, you know, he's a farmer. He doesn't really have much to his name. He lives in the outskirts of a town, uh, you know, more of a village, really, that he lives in. And you, you want to hate him for some of the decisions that he makes, even decisions that he makes that cost people their lives in this movie. But like I said, he's not doing it maliciously. He's not doing it in a kind of a vapid sense. He just doesn't know any better. And and that comes across in the film. That's the thing. I never got upset with Pedro. And you guys know me. Anybody who's been listening to my shows long enough knows I get mad at horror characters very easily. Pedro never pissed me off. It's just 
you kind of it's kind of a face palm situation where you know he's making a decision that's going to cost someone dearly later in the film, but there's just nothing you can do about it as the viewer, and that's just something that Rugna does beautifully. I mean, you could you could kind of say the husband and terrified in the opening scene and terrified is the same thing. He just kind of isn't making the best decisions because he's ignorant to the situation. He doesn't know what's going on. Another thing that I really loved about this movie, and I'm sorry if I'm rambling on my general thoughts, but there's so much to talk about with this movie. I swear I'm saving some for the walkthrough. I, 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 I truly swear. But um, another thing that really strikes you about this movie is there's no skepticism anywhere in this movie. Everybody instantly understands the concept of the possessed, the concept of the rotten. As soon as you say the, the word rotten, everyone in this movie, even Pedro's ex-wife, who absolutely hates him, they react in a way that they know what the fuck he's talking about. And to think that this is a world where maybe this isn't necessarily commonplace, but it's more than just an urban legend because everyone knows exactly, even the cops, right down to the cops, even the fucking cops in this town, as soon as Pedro mentions a possessed or a rotten, they instantly know what he's talking about. And I love that about this film. No, no, no having to deal with skeptical characters, no having to deal with cynicism. Just everyone is, you know, for the most part, very accepting of what's happening to the point where grandma even knows the seven rules of how to deal with a rotten, even though she's not a hundred percent convinced that Pedro and his brother saw what they saw, she still understands the seven rules that you have to follow to deal with one of these things. And it just, it just makes this movie so enjoyable, so believable, so organic. And on top of everything, you get some of the most disturbing horror sequences of the year thus far. I mean, you know, I'm not going to say that this is on the level of the sadness when it comes to disturbing content, but goddamn, does it near uh, some of the heights that that movie uh, hit last year. And of course, you guys probably remember The Sadness was my number one film of last year as well. So um, it kind of makes it obvious that, yeah, I absolutely adore this film. It is solidly my number one of the year. I can't imagine seeing something in the in the last, what, two and a half months of 2023 that are really going to affect me the way this movie affected me. And I mean, for a guy that doesn't have kids, has never wanted kids, has no desire for kids that I felt so bad for some of the kids in this movie, one in particular that we'll talk about, but yeah, this movie is absolutely stellar. I had an absolute blast with it. Yes. If you don't know, it is a Spanish language film, so you're going to have to deal with subtitles uh, I believe it's uh, getting a shutter release later in the year. I think Don knows what date that is, so I'm sure he'll talk about that in a little bit. But yeah, uh, this movie, th to me, this is a must-watch. This is something, in a, in a year that's been fairly slow, we're not getting a lot of great stuff from Shudder, we're not getting a lot of great stuff in the cinema, this is a standout for 2023. Even if you don't agree that it's the best thing you've seen this year, I think it's going to affect most people. If you go into it with a serious mindset uh, and really just go on the journey that the director wants you to go on, I think this is going to be one of, if not the most effective films of the year. So I'm going to leave my general thoughts at that and just say I absolutely love this film.
Next. All right. Let's kick it over to Don. What are your thoughts on When Evil Lurks? Well, uh, to answer Venom's uh, query, it will be the 27th. So there you go. Um, Yeah, uh, with that out of the way, um, I will keep mine short and simple. Uh, Last week, The Exorcist was the only film I've rated 1 out of 10 to so far. Uh, This week, this is the only film I've rated 10 out of 10 to. So, uh, (laughs) uh, like I uh, quipped earlier, um, I think I'm going to be writing Venom's coattails uh, pretty regularly throughout this because uh, I'm pretty much right on board with just about everything. Um, I I mean, the setup to this is fantastic. I I, I love, like he mentioned, like the whole setup here with uh, the possessed and the rotten and not necessarily one where you get an idea it's a new thing, but everybody just treats it as if it's something that they have to, that you, you know, deal with at the time. Because if you let it fester and you let it, you know, get out of control, then you know bad things are going to happen. But it's treated with this kind of uh, sincerity and realistic, you know, we have to deal with it now kind of a you know feeling where you don't necessarily have too many people that are you know, skeptical and, you know, doubtful. And it's like, well, what are you doing here? Why do we have to do this? You know, like, what do we do now? And it, I, I thought it was really intriguing, really refreshing. Um, and I mean, the idea of how they get possessed and how they become rotten is, you know, really clever and original. Uh, I, I mean, just damn, some of those scenes are just shocking. They come out of nowhere um, I, I mean, I think I can, you know, speak for all of us when I say that uh, sequence in the uh, farm with the uh, the family that takes themselves out. I think that's one of the first highlights. But then when, uh, you know, the other family gets involved and, uh, you know, you see children getting involved, you see dogs getting involved and you see uh, adults getting involved. It's like, you know, just the craziness is. So much fun, so over the top. Uh, man, I, I loved it. Um, I, I, I will say, I, I do find the stupidity to be the one major flaw with this one, if, like Venom said, if that is a flaw, because I do agree. I think it's coming from a, a it's coming from the right area, but like you said, it's much more, oh God, you're falling for this shit? And, you know, it, it's kind of like, you know, what you said where you kind of I, I think you said like face palm, right? Mm-hmm. I think that was I think that was a term you used. Yeah, okay, that it, it's kind of similar to that where it's like, oh Jesus, you're falling for this? It's like, come on, man. Wisen up. Like, you know, that's kind of like the reaction you get. You you don't really feel like it's malicious. Like you don't really feel like it's something that you really want to like attack him for or hammer the film over because of it. So it, it does kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, present itself as an issue because, you know, the, like the rest of the film is so smart and so clever and so, you know, fresh and original that something like this where after numerous situations, after numerous encounters, you haven't realized what they're trying to do. You don't follow to the person that's literally two feet away from you telling you don't listen to them. They're lying like you're doing this simply to, you know, you're, you're doing this for your own reason and you're doing this for your own value. That's fine. 
but after everything you've gone through, you're really listening to your head and you're not listening to the person telling you what to do that you brought along specifically because they've shown expertise in this situation. Yeah, I, I can see why some might see that as, you know, like a, a drawback where, you know, their idiocy and their stupidity led the, to, you know, the, the action continuing. But I, I mean, that's, you know, genuinely, that's like the only real thing that you can say about this one. There's, like you said, there's some haunting visuals. There's some really, really great gore scenes. Um, you know, kids get fucked over nice and well, so that's always a plus. But yeah, overall, um, I, I mean, you know, it's number one by a long shot. Uh, I, I, I think Terrified is a little bit better of a film just because I think it hits a little bit more immediately. Um, I mean, the opening scene for that one is, you know, just an immediate, just like, whoa, what the fuck have I gotten into kind of a thing. And I think this one is a little bit longer to get going. Um, it, it takes a while to really understand, like, everything. But, uh, I, I, I mean, choosing between them is, yeah, I... I, I, I don't know how to really choose between them. I, I think Terrified leaves a better first impression, but I, I mean, is there a wrong choice here? <laughs> I, I, I don't think there's uh, a wrong way to go with either one, but uh, yeah, Rugna, you've, uh, you're two for two, my friend, so keep it up. So yeah, I guess that will um, pretty much uh, leave it there for me because, I mean, I, I don't have much else to add. Okay. Um, I will try to not repeat what's already been said, but yeah, one of my favorites of the year, possibly my number one so far. In fact, I, I, I'd say right now it is my number one. Uh, there, there's a few that might be close and maybe if I have chance to do rewatches later in the year, but I think I'm confident in saying as of now, this is my number one of the year. Um, you know, it, it's interesting that it comes on the heels of Exorcist Belief, or not even really on the heels because they were released at the same time. I actually saw them the same day. One of the rare times I see two movies at the theater uh, at once, it just happened to be a day where I had a lot of free time. And uh, it, it lined up to where when Exorcist ended, this one started like 30 minutes later, so not even a long time to wait. But this is a great example of uh, how to do a possession movie where – Yes, do we see some familiar tropes? Sure, but the movie doesn't rely on those those tropes at all. The, the story is excellent. Um, I, I love the fact that, like, this isn't... Like, it feels like you're watching something that you haven't completely seen before, other than, like, there's some familiar things that are going to show up in any possessed, possession movie just by the nature of a, it being a possession movie. But outside of that, it, it feels like you're getting a new experience. It feels like you don't always know what's coming. I like the fact that um, while the the movie is mostly set in, like, a small, out in the middle of nowhere, I wouldn't even call it a town, um, it, it almost has, like, a Fulci vibe to me, the way that exorcism or the, the the demon stuff kind of felt like a like a plague was about to be unleashed on uh, this, this little you know city or town uh, and the impending doom aspect of it and I think that kind of ties into uh, the ending which I think from what I've heard like Venom said I think the ending is probably the most polarizing aspect but to me if if 
if someone goes into this movie having seen Fulci movies and and how some of the some of Fulci's movies end, to me, it, it really has that kind of aspect to it, which we'll, we'll, I'll get into more when we actually start discussing the spoilers. Go. Let's move on to the characters. I love the fact that we don't need like full background on all these characters to understand kind of what they're like we we get bits and pieces right we have a our main guy he's he's obviously divorced uh has kids he he's kind of established from the beginning as sort of a screw-up not a bad person but he's obviously gone astray in his life somehow that he, he's no longer with his wife and he it doesn't seem like he sees his kids a whole lot so uh, that's the when you when you set that foundation for a character then to me it's easy to buy in that he's not always going to make the right decisions along the way because i don't think you know if if your character is established as someone who isn't always known for doing the proper or right thing i don't think that's going to change because you're now in a crisis i think if your characteristic is oops sometimes i screw up even though i'm trying to do the right thing i'm trying to figure things out and I don't always do do it right. And another aspect that I that makes me buy it and justify it is, although there is kind of a centralized lore around what's going on, it's obvious it's obvious from the way all the characters react is they all have varying pieces of knowledge about it. They all only believe in it to varying degrees. They kind of have a centralized understanding of like what it means if there's a, a rotten or and and what kind of like how you have to react. But like Venom said, you have the the grandmother, the mother of the main character. She's singing the song, reciting like the uh, all the steps and like what what you'd have to do. And even she seems like it, it's almost like an old folklore tale to her, even though she knows it. So then you go to like the next generation, and you, they they kind of react like what you saw what, and like it, it's like they they all understand, but everyone doesn't know how to hundred percent react and I love it because that contributes to the chaos of the movie that some some are going to go full like obviously our main character they witnessed it with their own eyes the rotter the rotten person so they're going to react as uh, much different than other people that are just merely being told about and haven't actually witnessed it with their own eyes and kind of operating on like oh well this is kind of the stories they told when we were kids so to varying degrees everyone's kind of reacting in their own way much to some people's detriment in the movie and and but I buy into it completely because of what's established with these characters. And I, and I think it's 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 such a refreshing way to present the characters because we don't need extended explanations about them. Uh, but it still works so well. Um, what else can I say? It, it, I, I wouldn't even say the movie is constantly over-the-top graphic, but when it goes there, it really goes there. And, it yes, it will leave you with, it, with imagery you're not gonna forget anytime soon um and yeah i'll just say like, i i had no problem with the ending it was the the movie was grim lots of doom and gloom but i loved it i loved it the entire time and um i i really didn't have any issues with the end and i didn't find it confusing just yeah. you, you just we'll get it we'll, we'll get into it because i can't even like try to explain anything but <laughs> yeah excellent movie um Unfortunately, I didn't get to watch it a second time before this, but I will be watching it definitely when it hits Shutter. But I might before then, just depending on what free time I have. So yeah, one of the year's best. Everybody should watch it. I, I'm assuming it's already out of theaters because I don't think it was going to have, have that long of a run. But if you check your listings and it's still there, please go see this because 
we Exorcist. It's like that's going to probably get all the people because of the name. But this is the movie. If you can only see one, this is the one you should be seeing. So uh, yeah. I'll leave it there. Back to you, Venom. Yeah, and, and and back to some of the great characterizations in the film. Uh, Mirta, our our kind of resident expert as to what's going on here. I I thought she is a it, she's a spectacular character. I love how she's no nonsense. She doesn't take any shit from Pedro. Like anytime Pedro's about to fuck up, she's instantly right there. Hey. Snap out of it. Get, get your head in the game. You know, there's rules. You need to follow them. And, you know, all the way up until the end when, you know, Pedro does make a very poor decision, um, you know, which ends up uh, costing Mirta dearly. But, yeah, just the, the, these characters, they're so believable. I mean, the mom, uh, the uh, Pedro's, you know, estranged wife, ex-wife, I suppose, who is now remarried and even has a, a another kid with with her new husband. I mean, she her characterization is great. It, it, it just again very believable. And then once she makes a certain turn later in the film, it, it's still just so creepy, so just uh, nerve nerve wracking, really. It just. Man, some of these performances are so eerie, and and his that that character is uh, part of one of the images in this movie that is going to stick with me forever. There's probably two or three images in this movie, uh, images slash sequences that are going to stay with me for a very long time. And uh, yeah, she definitely is involved in one of those. Um, I love the relationship with the brothers. Um, it seems like Pedro, who is the older brother, has always kind of been the dominant of the pair, even though it seems like the younger brother, kind of Jimmy, has his head more on his shoulders. It, it does seem like Pedro has, an, has or has had an alcohol problem uh, in two different scenes in this movie. Someone asks him, have you been drinking again? So obviously it seems like it's been established in this town that Pedro is a little bit of a boozer, uh, a little bit of a fuck up, you know, not the greatest dad. Uh, obviously we find out he never made one child support payment after his divorce with his wife. It's been years. I mean, I mean, their new kid is like, what, four, five, six years old. So and Pedro's been out of the picture for that long to the point where they even have a restraining order up against them. Like, he's not even supposed to be anywhere near his ex-wife or his two kids, his two sons. But, of course, because of the situation, it kind of forces him to get back into that situation, trying, again, trying to be the hero. This is part of the reason why it's hard to hate Pedro, because, yes, he makes some poor decisions, but he makes them because he's trying to save the people around him. He's trying to save his kids. He's trying to save, you know, his mother, his brother, everybody. He's trying to save as many people as possible. And he's not Superman, unfortunately. He's he's anything but. Uh, so it definitely works against him. But this is why it's hard to hate Pedro. Because, again, he's just a loving father. Yes, he's a fuck-up, he's an alcoholic, you know, blah, blah, blah. But he's very, very obviously a loving father. And he even does show care for his ex-wife and her husband. Because when he, well, I'll get into that into the walkthrough. Because out of context, it doesn't make a lot of sense right now. But, yeah, just overall, every character in this movie does exactly what they need to do. Including his oldest son, who has autism, and 
has a very creepy scene later in the film, which, again, we'll get into here in a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, between the storytelling, the direction, the editing, the score, uh, the performances, I mean, this movie is as close to a 10 out of 10 as you're going to get in 2023, I'm pretty sure. Um I, I do not disagree with Don whatsoever. This is this is an absolutely stellar film w- that has very little to complain about. I mean, ultimately, I feel like if you're going to be the kind of person to complain about scenes in this movie, either you're nitpicking or you just don't, I don't know, kind of grasp the bigger picture here and, the you know, the, what Pedro is trying to avoid and what the town folks are trying to avoid. Because, like I said, once they hear those certain words – most of them react negatively. What? A rotten? Are you sure? No, you just saw something that scared you. Like, everybody either believes Pedro or is convinced that he saw something different that just kind of freaked him out, potentially on another alcoholic bender. Who knows? But, yeah. So so the fact that they established that Pedro is an alcoholic and a fuck-up is potentially why nobody wants to listen to him. Very few people want to listen to him. I mean, even his own brother kind of goes against some of his thinking at times, even though he's witnessed almost everything that his brother has. But there's still that little disconnect where people can't trust this Pedro guy. He's got a history of fucking up. Um, obviously, I don't believe he has any kind of job um I, I called him a farmer earlier, but really that's only because he lives on farmland. It's not like we actually see him tending crops or tending to animals, not at all. It's just he kind of lives in that very, very rural area. So, you know, I just I, – I call him a farmer, but he may not be. But, yeah, man, again, this movie, there's so many positives and so little negatives, if any, that uh, how could this not be one of the best movies of the year is the kind of question that I like to ask. But at the same time, no single movie is going to make everybody happy. I told the story on the last episode about the younger girls that sat next to me at The Exorcist who were walking out saying they loved it and everything else. It's funny because that exact same audience would probably hate this movie because this movie is just way – it's a little bit too much for younger audiences, but even if a younger audience can handle it, I don't think they're going to quite comprehend everything that they're seeing, and especially the kind of unimplied horror of it all. Because like with, like with the last episode, we talked about The Exorcist, and we talked about how The Exorcist is so heavy-handed and how they have to explain everything. This movie doesn't explain shit. Other than the people who know what's going on, it's not like they're – trying to educate each other on it. Pedro doesn't give a fuck whether you believe him or not. He just wants you to get out of this town. You need to get out of here. And he and he says it perfectly. This town is going to be a living hell within a few hours if we don't get out of here. And lo and behold, he was basically right. Even though we don't really see the shit hit the fan, because he does end up leaving the town before too much more happens, we do see a couple of great set pieces but we don't see as much at like like that's like a, another whole movie that probably could have been shot in that town after Pedro left because once the shit hit the fan it probably it's going to turn into the sadness. <laughs> well, well, yeah, and that's my kind of like that, that that was where I was thinking like Fulci influence too because like sometimes yeah. at the end of a a Fulci movie it's like maybe 
maybe your main character or one of the main characters themselves might make it out alive, but they haven't stopped anything that's going on. So, like, the impending doom is still coming. And uh, one other thing I want to hit um, before either we go to the spoilers or you just keep going with more general thoughts. Uh, you made the the observation that we, like, the viewer when watching this, we don't know what's coming next. And I think that's an important distinction between something that feels – like, despite being a possession movie – this still manages to feel like something original where you're learning as the movie goes on versus something like doing the 100th rehash of, like, The Exorcist, where even even if it's not a poor movie, even if it's somewhat well done, we still, as viewers, because we've seen 100 different versions of that same story, for the most part, we know what's coming every step of the way, right? I mean, they you're going to have to put in real effort to surprise us if you're making a new sequel to The Exorcist. But with this, I felt like, okay, it's a possession movie, so yeah, of course we know there's going to be possessions in it. But outside of that... I didn't know what was coming in the next scene. I didn't know, okay, if they succeed here, what does that mean? If they fail here, what does that mean? What happened? Oh, they did. Oh, we learned that they didn't do this correctly. What the hell is going to happen now? What are the ramifications? We don't know. And to me, like, I love that when watching a movie because it's, it's, it's a lot more rare these days. Absolutely, yeah. And how refreshing, how absolutely refreshing is it that we got a demonic possession movie with no references to the church, no holy men, no cathedrals. I mean, literally the only religious iconography in this whole movie is just grandma's necklace. She's wearing a gold crucifix on her necklace. But it's not like it's a point of contention or anything like that. Um, or that it's a, it, it does kind of help with a reveal later in the movie that we'll talk about, but it's not like she was holding it up and like using it as a defense or anything against any of the possessed or whatever. Like, yeah, I love that because 99.9% of possession movies are going to dip into religion. They're going to dip into Catholicism, um, you know, whatever other elements of religion that they might jump into as well. And we get here, we get a movie that is not only one of the most refreshing and innovative possession movies ever, there's no religion to be found anywhere, and I love that. And I think that's probably part of why there's no skepticism in this movie. Um, religious people are they're the most skeptical people of the existence of the devil ever. Like, literally, Catholics and Christians in general are the only ones who spout about the devil Yet, if you tell them that the devil is here, no, uh, no, yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. You're full of shit, blah, 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 you know, and that's I, I feel like that's part of why we don't get all those skeptical characters here is that they leave the religion out of it. Religion and God has nothing to do with this movie. I mean, I, I think at one point one of the characters even says God is dead. So literally religion has no presence in this film, and I love that. That's just, that just adds to the dozens of different innovative things that this movie has done that we don't see from standard possession movies. Whew, that was a long one. <laughs> I forgot to breathe during that whole sentence. <laughs> okay. All right, so I, I guess if there's not anything else that we can go over that's spoiler-free, and ultimately... There is, but we, we kind of have to limit this show. I mean, we don't want to sit here for two hours talking about this movie, though I think we all could. 
This movie is, we've already talked about how stellar it is, what a beautiful production it is, every, how innovative, just everything. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to cut myself off here and say, Mike Dunn, if there's not anything else to go over, uh, I guess we can go into our walkthrough, which I'm, I'm going to be very, how can I put it? I'm going to be quick with the walkthrough because I feel like there's stuff in here that has to be experienced. I strongly, strongly suggest, if you have not seen this movie, don't stick around for the walkthrough. Just don't. It would probably also be a good idea just because it's still not technically available to the public yet, just because the release is still a couple weeks away. So I, I would probably, you know, like you said, keep it just a little bit short and vague. Just, you know, yeah, it, it's still not technically available yet. I mean, you know, there was a few advanced screenings we were able to get to, so... I mean, you know, it seems like it's more of the lucky ones that got to it. So, I mean, yeah, it's still not technically available to the masses at, at you know, at like a click of a button, like, you know, most of our films are. So I think that would probably be a wiser choice. Yeah, yeah, I'm very down with that. But, yeah, there's definitely a, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be experienced. Uh, something else I'm going to say, if you haven't even watched a trailer for this movie yet, don't. I, I know I kind of harp about trailers. I haven't watched trailers in, what, like four or five years now since I've watched a horror movie trailer before the movie comes out, that is. I would strongly suggest just don't read up on it. Don't watch a trailer. Go into this movie as blind as you possibly can, because that's how I went into it. I knew nothing about this movie going into it. I hadn't watched a trailer. The only thing I knew was that it, it was from the director of Terrified. So obviously there's a little bit of a pedigree there. Um, maybe some expectations because of how great Terrified was, but um, that was all I knew going into this, and I'm so glad. I mean, even watching the trailer now after the fact, I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I didn't watch this trailer. Even though the trailer doesn't give away a whole lot, it still gives away more than you should know going into this. So, yeah, I would this movie more than any other over the last couple of years, I would say go in as blind as you possibly can. So, with that, that is going to be your final spoiler warning, folks. I am now going to go into a fairly quick walkthrough. Um, hopefully, Mike and Don will kind of uh, make sure that I don't talk too much about the film because you guys know me. I'm chatty. I like to gab. If you, if you leave me unfettered, I will talk for hours. So here we go. <laughs> when evil lurks, uh, basically, we open up with um where do we open up what is the opening scene it's just right yeah it's just it's kind of it's just pedro and his brother kind of waking up it's not even waking up it's the middle not the middle of the night but it's like the end of the evening they're kind of chilling in their in their house and they hear some gunshots out in the distance now they obviously live in a very wooded area there's no other house anywhere in sight within uh you know from their house so they hear gunshots. They hear five gunshots specifically. They kind of talk like, oh, should we go out there and see what's going on? Should we bring the dogs? Uh, eventually they decide uh, they'll wait for the morning because, you know, they don't want to get ambushed by Lord knows how many people out in the woods. The next morning they do go out. They check. They start checking their property and the surrounding property. And eventually they find a body, but they do not find a whole body. They find half a body. They find the lower half of a man 
uh, just their intestines hanging out. The top half is nowhere to be found. I think there might be a hand, uh, like laying on a log somewhere close by, but otherwise the rest of the body is gone, completely missing. Pedro, to, you know, obviously they think that it might be Mr. Ruiz, who's kind of the landowner. He owns all the land that all these people live on. Uh, so they're thinking, oh, maybe he went out to hunt a puma, and the puma ended up winning. But Pedro is very observant. He notices that, yeah, this this body was cut with a blade. This wasn't an animal attack. They start going through the personal possessions of the person, uh, and they find out that they were actually going to uh, a woman's house very close to there, uh, Maria. Uh, so they decide, well, let's go to Maria's house and, sh and see if she was maybe expecting somebody, um, you know, and if she knows who it is. They they do that. They go to Maria's house. Uh, they see that or they ask her, hey, were you expecting someone to visit because we found a body in the woods and they had this uh, piece of paper in their notebook that has your uh, a photocopy of your like uh, identification and directions to your house. She then lets them know that her oldest son, Uriel, is sick and that she was waiting for, for a cleaner, quote unquote. Literally, that's what they call them, cleaners. Uh, and that she was waiting for a cleaner to come and kill her son. That's the only context we get is that somebody was coming to kill her son with her permission. Eventually, Pedro and Jimmy end up walking into the house to find out what's wrong with the brother. And when we walk into the bedroom, holy shit, my friends, we see <laughs> this overweight, gelatinous, pus-filled, just globule of a human being. Like, he's he's almost a perfect circle. He's just so big, and he's got bed sores. Like, obviously, he hasn't gotten up out of bed. He's in his underwear, his tidy whiteies that don't look like they've been white for 10 years, literally just urinating and defecating on himself, all this time waiting for this quote-unquote cleaner to show up to then rid him of whatever is going on. They end up finding out through the conversation with, Maria and her other son, her youngest son, that Uriel is possessed. He is literally possessed, and they call him the rotten. They basically say that he has gone rotten and that he needs to be killed. But the, the mom, Maria, is adamant that he can't be harmed or shot, you know, that he has to be killed by a cleaner. Obviously, you know, we're getting all of this out of context at first, so we don't know why. Eventually, Pedro and Jimmy go to Mr. Ruiz's house, uh, let him know what's going on at Maria's place, and ask him to come along. He grabs his shotgun, and basically they all three of them drive back to Maria's house. Uh, Mr. Ruiz, being kind of the owner of the land, then uh, looks at Uriel, sees the condition that he is that he's in, and instantly knows this guy's possessed. This guy is possessed. He is rotting right here in his bed in front of us. And he starts yelling at the family because he thinks the family hasn't done their due diligence, that they just let this guy sit here and rot. Uh, the youngest son lets them know, no, we told the authorities over a year ago that this was happening. And we've been sitting here waiting that entire time for the quote-unquote cleaner to get here to dispose of, of Uriel. Um Obviously, that upsets Pedro and Jimmy. They end up going to the police station, the local police station, and 
the police don't know anything about it, or they're claiming not to know anything about it. They're like, nope, no one told us that, you know, there was a possessed in our a town. And again, like I said, the cops are all very understanding of what's going on. They may not believe uh, Pedro that there is a rotten in their town, but they know what he's referencing. They all know what it, what they're referencing. So Maybe a prequel for this movie might be cool, just to understand how it is that everyone in this town knows what a possessed is and what a rotten is, and no one is skeptical about it. It's kind of funny. So, uh, you know, Pedro gets into a big argument with the police chief. Um, This is the first time someone asks him, have you been drinking again? This is part of the reason why they don't believe him, that they don't believe that this guy is a rotten and that he's been sitting around for a year waiting for a cleaner to show up. He ends up leaving. Uh, he get, he ends up getting the number for the mayor of the town, um, and then off screen he calls the mayor. We don't actually get to see that conversation. We hear about it later, but he does end up calling the mayor. And again, the mayor plays ignorant, doesn't know what's going on, didn't know that there was a uh, in, a uh, rotten in his town, and you know it just kind of ends there. And Pedro is just distraught. He's like, how do these people know that this has been going on and have done nothing about it? So uh, Mr. Mr. Ruiz finally says, well, fuck it. I'm going to take care of this myself. He grabs his shotgun. He goes back to Maria's house. He's literally got the gun pointed at Uriel to shoot him. And Maria begs for his life, says, no, no, you can't kill him. Do not shoot him. Don't you understand? It will make things worse. If you kill him with that gun, it's going to make everything worse. And, you know, the shit's really going to hit the fan. Eventually, they are able to convince Mr. Ruiz not to shoot him. But Ruiz doesn't want this guy on his property. He's like, nope, I want him the fuck out of here. So what they do, they end up taking the guy very terribly, <laughs> taking him, transporting him out of the house and into the truck. And they end up driving him like two to three hours out, like 300 kilometers, I think's the exact number they said. Literally drove 300 kilometers away from his property just to drop the body off. Uh, On the way there, they're not going anywhere in particular. They just want to be as far away from his property as possible and then just drop the body off somewhere. Unfortunately, on the way uh, to wherever it is they're going, they almost get into an accident where they almost hit a kid on the road with a bike and the truck kind of swerves back and forth. They end up driving another 20 minutes and finally Ruiz is like, okay, this is far enough. Let's get out and dump them here. They get out of the truck, and of course, Uriel's body is gone. Nothing in the back of the truck. They assume that he must have fallen out of the truck when they swerve to avoid the little kid in the road. But Jimmy, who was watching, who was basically sitting in the back of the truck, not in the not in the uh, the cargo bay, but like in the back seat, watching the body, he doesn't even see the body come out, like leave the truck, and you know him and his brother get into a minor argument about it. So finally, Ruiz is like, well, you know what? Fuck it. We got rid of him. If he, if he fell out of the truck 20 minutes ago, that's still over 300 kilometers away from my property. So fuck it. Situation's done. Let's go. I kind of uh, uh, like Ruiz. Go ahead. Ruiz, is, like he's another no-nonsense no character. I mean, you can't hate him. It's hard to hate him. <laughs> yeah, I, lo- I love the fact that, you know, he has uh, he has property. He, he 
he feels that like I, I think uh, you know it's been a couple of weeks now <clears throat> since I saw it, but I think he's like he's already frustrated because like even unrelated to this, I think like the city or developers are trying to come after his land. So yeah, he. Yes, he knows what what's going on here, but he also kind of sees it as like, oh, great, like another another damn inconvenience for me and my property where I'm <laughs> I'm trying to like hold on to it, you know. And here come now, I got this on my hands, and he's looking. Obviously, he he's trying to probably take shortcuts with like how to properly do this, and and that's what I love about this movie. It's like everybody everybody has varying degrees to like the lengths they'll go to, to like deal with it. But some, some will like follow through with like, okay, what's the proper way? But others are like, eh, out of, if I can get it out of sight, out of mind, like that's, that's fine. And and I love it because in, in times, even in times of crisis, like everyone does not act the same. So I like the fact that like, while everybody has some understanding of like the possessed and the, and the rotten, they're still not all going to do the same thing. Exactly. All right. So at this point, our Uriel is gone. They don't know if, <laughs> if where he is, where his body went. They just assume he fell out of the truck. That evening, uh, Mr. Mr. Ruiz's wife comes into the house hysterical, telling him to come out, come out, check the goats. They go out, and she points at one goat in particular. Apparently, he, uh, Mr. Ruiz is a goat farmer. He's got like a few dozen goats there right next to his property. The wife points out one goat in particular that's literally just standing there staring at Ruiz, like a deadlock stare, just staring back at him. And there's other goats around this particular goat still acting like normal goats, you know, feeding, uh, bleeding, bleating, B-L-E-A-T, not bleeding, uh, uh, basically the sound that a goats make. It's called a bleat. Um, so basically, you know, there's just a bunch of normal goats and then one goat right in the middle just staring back at Ruiz. He grabs his shotgun and shoots a shell up up into the air, kind of a warning shot. Suddenly you see all the sheep part ways like the Red Sea. They all run away except for the one goat that Mrs. Ruiz pointed out. And he's just standing there staring at Ruiz, just like I said, a dead stare. Ruiz picks up the shotgun, aims it at the goat, and then we hear the wife screaming behind him, don't shoot him, don't shoot him, you're going to make it worse. Once again, somebody else in this town who knows how to, that knows the rules and, uh, you know, is understanding of what's happening in this town. Um, but ultimately, Ruiz walks, uh, like, you know, there's a fence uh, separating Ruiz from the rest of the goats, uh, Ruiz walks up to the edge of the fence and points the gun at the goat. The goat, like an absolute fucking badass, just walks right up to Ruiz and, and uh, Ruiz, excuse me, and puts his forehead right up against the barrel of the gun, almost like he's daring him to shoot, which I fucking love. Uh, I'm screaming. It's got Black Phillip vibes all over it, even though the goat's not fully black. He does have some dark colorations to him, but... uh Finally, the wife runs to like a pile of wood that they have there uh, and she grabs an axe and she's running towards Ruiz and she's saying, don't shoot him, don't shoot him. You're going to make it worse. But 
Finally, once the goat walks right up to the shotgun and puts his head right up against the barrel, he, you know, he, he basically makes his little sheepy sound, his bleat, and then Ruiz pulls the trigger. And my friend, this movie is not scared to show you animals dying. This, this movie genuinely has teeth. If you're an animal lover, I would not suggest watching this movie because there is a couple of scenes of violence against animals, and this is one of them. And like I said, there's no cut. Literally, we see him shoot this fucking goat in the face, and blood just splatters everywhere. The goat dies instantly, but literally, as soon as the goat dies, we see an axe come from the side of the screen and is buried into fucking Ruiz's face. Like, my friends, this is this was so shocking because it just fucking comes out of nowhere. He shoots the goat and then wham, axe to the face. And he falls over dead right away. The camera then moves, pans back to show that it was his wife. His fucking wife buried the mm. axe in his face. Mind you, this woman's got to be about eight months pregnant because her stomach is gigantic. She it looks like she's about to pop any day now. After she kills her husband with the axe, she literally turns the axe to herself. That's the image on the poster that uh, many of you have seen. Uh, a woman, uh, the silhouette of a woman with an axe pointed towards her. That's, uh, th this is the scene. She literally takes the axe and starts burying it in her own face. But be obviously because of the angle, you can't just you know, hit yourself once and bury it in your face. Like she's hitting herself in the face with the sharp end of the ax over and over, like five or six times until finally she can't hold the ax anymore. The ax falls and then she falls over and Ruiz and wife are now dead. And obviously the baby's dead too, because yeah. I, considering where they live, there's no way they're going to get medical staff out there in time. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know like? you're in. You know you're in for a brutal movie when the the axe to the face of Ruiz isn't even the most shocking thing of the scene. Oh no, this is just the first kill, my friends. This, <laughs> this is oh man, this goddamn movie. All right, so anyway, at this point, yeah, Ruiz, his wife, his unborn child, and one of their goats is now dead. We then see Maria's younger son, the one who is not infected show up at Pedro and Jimmy's house, basically saying, um, I don't know what's going on. My mother disappeared. She she went into the woods and she's gone. She hasn't come back. I don't know what's up. And he didn't want to stay home by himself. So he literally walked all the way to Pedro and Jimmy's house, basically asking them if he could stay there. You know, can I stay with you? I don't want to go back home. There's no one there. You know, don't forget, they already got rid of Uriel and now mom is missing. So literally, it's just this kid by himself. Pedro kind of wants to help him. You can kind of see Pedro's decision making is a lot of it is based on him being a parent. Whereas Jimmy is not a parent. He doesn't have any uh, sympathy for any kid that they run into. But Pedro, because he has a couple of kids, he's a little bit more sympathetic to, to children. So when this kid, and I forgot his name completely, they're not even giving it to us on uh, IMDb, but uh, basically Uriel's younger brother, when he shows up, Pedro wants to help him, but Jimmy is distrustful. Jimmy's like, no, and, I, and that kid is armed too. I know he carries a gun with him. Uh, basically Pedro asks him for the gun. The kid 
willingly gives over his 38. And then Pedro says, okay, you can sleep in the stable where we keep the horses. You can go ahead and sleep there. And then in the morning, I want you out. Just as soon as the sun comes up, you're gone. And that's pretty much that. Um, <laughs> and then, let's see, is it is it the next day? I can't remember. Shit. Uh, so basically, after uh, the kid stays there, and, uh, Pedro makes the realization of what's going on. Okay, we fucked up by moving Uriel, and now people are dying. More people in our town are dying. We fucked up somehow. Uh, so Pedro basically makes the decision that he wants to save his family. And mind you, this is his estranged family, his ex-wife and the two sons that she had with him, plus her new husband and their new daughter. Uh, that has nothing to do with Pedro, a, a kid from the new marriage. So he decides, okay, we're going to drive into town because, like I said, they live in a more rural area, farmland. They drive into town where the wife is now living with uh, both of his sons, her new husband, and their child. And it, it's just a shit show right from when he shows up. The, the new husband doesn't want to let him in and that's when we find out that he actually had a restraining order that the wife has a restraining order against him uh that he can't go anywhere near that house even though we do find out later on that's his house that like that's his house that he bought for him and his wife but apparently she must have gotten it in the divorce so but he still calls it his house when he shows up he starts making a big scene basically saying okay look um there's a rotten out in the outskirts of town it's more than likely headed here we need to get the hell out of here while he's saying that he's getting undressed and i mean completely undressed he's butt naked in his ex-wife's house slash his house and he's basically asking the new husband for some clothes um earlier when pedro and jimmy leave first leave their farm pedro actually says okay we can't take anything we can't take valuables, no clothing, no nothing. Nothing from this property can come with us. We don't know why yet. We'll find out here in a little bit. Um, so like I said, he ends up going there. He finally does get a change of clothing from the new husband. He takes all the old clothes that he wore there, and he burns them instantly. So totally burned. Unfortunately, he didn't burn them quick enough because while – he was standing there butt naked arguing with his ex-wife. We see the family dog sniffing through his clothes. And the family dog is a bull mastiff. This, uh, if you guys know your dog breeds, you know bull mastiffs. They're like pit bulls on crack. They're bigger pit bulls. These things are just big, scary, menacing um, things. Obviously, this is a family pet, so he's very friendly. E even to Pedro, he's friendly, you know, even though he's coming in there butt naked and yelling at everybody. So while uh, basically at this point, uh, the husband, the new husband, decides to call the police. They call the police. And during that time, we get uh, a dog attack. And for my friends, to say that it's a dog attack doesn't even give this scene justice. <laughs> this dog literally grabs this girl by the face. I mean, literally locks onto her face. Fortunately, this is this death is a little edited. We don't actually get to see all of it. And that makes sense because it's a little girl. Um, it's it's not Pedro's. It's, 
it's not one of Pedro's kids. It's the little girl, the, the, the girl from the new marriage. The dog literally attacks her, drags her underneath the kitchen table. We hear commotion. We hear the little girl screaming. Finally, when the dad starts to pay attention, he looks under the table. We see the dog literally shake the little girl, and you hear her neck snap. There's a distinct snap there, and that's important because it kind of establishes that this dog just killed this little girl. It just fucked her up to hell. Once the dad notices what the dog is doing, the dog runs out of the house carrying the girl in his jaws. He still has his jaws locked on her fucking face, and he runs out of the house. The guy, the dad, instantly grabs his shotgun and starts to go chase the dog. Pedro, of course, is screaming, don't use a gun, don't shoot him, blah, 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 you can't do that. Um, But, of course, the inevitable happens. The dad ends up catching up to the dog, and he ends up shooting it with his shotgun. And, again, no cut. We see him fucking shotgun blast right to the dog. Luckily, it's slightly out of focus, so it's not, like, literally the focus of the shot. Pedro is in focus in the foreground, and then out of focus in the background, you see this guy shoot the fucking dog. Um, Pretty intense, especially if you're an animal lover of any kind. So anyway, Pedro ends up running back home, back to, well, not his home, but back to his ex-wife's house. And when he gets there, the little girl is there. She's there and she's uninjured. She doesn't have a fucking scratch on her. She's just there. The mom is hugging the little girl like, oh, my God, are you hurt? You know, are, are you bleeding? The little girl's literally perfect, fucking perfect. But then the little girl gets really fucking creepy, has this shit-eating grin on her face, and looks at her mother and says, Daddy's going to come kill you. And she's saying it with this adorable little girl smile on her face, like literally, Daddy's going to come kill you. And and, and uh, the mom is like, what did you say? And then the little girl, and I, I fucking love this, because no child would ever do this, But like an adult, she starts to speak slowly and condescendingly. She's like, Daddy is going to come back here with the car and splat. And then she smiles like that. Again, the little adorable shit-eating grin. Suddenly, out of nowhere, uh, Pedro leaves. He's pulling out of the house with his two sons in her car, Sabrina's car. I'm sorry, the the ex-wife's name is Sabrina. As he's pulling out with the car, with his two sons in the car, suddenly Sabrina is there, still on the street, holding her child. In comes the the husband, the new husband, and he literally fucking plasters her against the side of the house. Unfortunately, we don't see it. The camera kind of pans away, but we do see the blood splatter, and it was a big blood splash. Basically, just a fucking painter up against the wall. The little girl again is uninjured and the little girl is fucking celebrating. And I'm not exaggerating folks. She's literally jumping up and down with her hands in the air. Happy that daddy just turned mommy into a pancake. Fucking just like I said, some of the iconography in this movie is ridiculous images that I'll are are not going to get out of your head anytime soon. 
as soon as Pedro sees this, he puts the pedal to the metal and he's gone. He uh, basically grabs his, his two sons and leaves. Uh, we later find out that he dropped off his brother at his mother's house uh, so that he can go get, uh, you know, their their mother and get her out of town, too. Apparently, she lives uh, somewhere differently. So he goes back. He goes to his mother's house, picks up Jimmy and picks up his mother. And this is where, uh, the you know, they, they start to leave town. They basically say, oh, we need to get to the big city. We need to get away from what's going on here, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the, the mother is very surprised that Pedro is there, not only that he's there, but that he's there with his kids and that he's there with Sabrina's car. Like she, she recognizes Sabrina's car instantly. Uh, they decide to just, like I said, drive to the big city. And during the drive, this is where we get the conversation between Grandma and Santino, Pedro's youngest son. I, I'm sorry, I forgot to mention Pedro's sons. Uh, the youngest son is Martin. Uh, yeah. Santino, and the oldest son is named Yair, uh, and Yair has autism. He doesn't really speak. He just kind of makes, like, grunting noises throughout the film. Um, obviously, he's acting very autistic. Um, let's see. So at this point, Grandma um, – at this point, Pedro and Jimmy tell Grandma what's going on. They tell her there's a, a rotten in our town, um, and we need to get the hell out of this area because the shit's going to hit the fan. Of course, she knows what they're talking about, you know, but she kind of plays it off as, oh, you didn't actually see one. You probably just saw something that scared you. You made an assumption and you ran away. Uh, Jimmy, who's seen most of what uh, Pedro has seen, obviously, Jimmy didn't see everything that happened at Pedro's ex-wife's house because uh, he was taking care, you know, he was getting his mother together. But Pedro has already seen so much shit, and he's trying to keep it together. And this is where um, uh, Santino asks his grandmother, what is a possessed? And this is where the grandmother starts to sing the song. There's actually a fucking folk song singing about this phenomenon. That's what I mean. It, it's, it seems like it's so common that it's it's gone beyond folklore. It's almost like just understood that it it happens. So Grandma basically starts singing the song and starts talking about how it's a demonic spirit and that once it gets into your body, it takes control of your mind and it makes you do things that you don't want to do. And then she starts talking about the seven rules of the possessed. And I have written them down, luckily, for all of you. Um, the seven rules are as follows. Number one, don't use electronic lights. Um, the only explanation that we get throughout the film on the electronic lights is one of the characters basically telling Pedro, don't use electric lights because their shadows call the evil. That's all he says. Their shadows call the evil. Interpret that as you will. Um, rule number two, don't stay close to animals. Apparently, animals can be very easily possessed by this thing, hence the scene with the goat earlier. Um, so, And if you're a goat farmer, you're probably fucked because it's going to be hard to stay away from animals at that point because it's your livelihood. So, yeah, that's the second rule. Stay away from – don't stay close to animals. Rule number three – don't take anything that's been close to the possessed. In other words, don't steal anything from their place. Don't do this. Don't do that. Uh, unfortunately, Jimmy does take a bullet um, 
there, there's like a box of bullets underneath Uriel's bed. And while they're moving Uriel into the truck, one of the bullets falls out and falls into the blanket that they're carrying him into. That bullet eventually falls into the bed of the truck, and we see Jimmy pick up the bullet and take it into the house. So potentially Jimmy's kind of fucked now. So, yeah. Rule number three, don't take anything that's been close to the possessed. Rule number four, don't hurt them. Uh, basically, don't cause them any physical harm. Once again, we're not really given much of an explanation as to this. Um, just, you know, don't harm them. Rule Number five, never call the evil by its name. And what she means by that is don't invite evil into the house by speaking an evil name. And grandma, in her infinite wisdom, starts naming off names. She's like Azriel, Beelzebub, Lucifer, basically all the different names for the devil that we have. And instantly Santino's like, but you're saying the names now. I thought you were supposed to say so. And Grandma kind of gives a sly little smile like, oh, shit. Well, I, I guess I did do that, didn't I? Uh, rule number six, do not shoot them with firearms. Anyone who kills a possessed with a firearm, they themselves become possessed. They become, um, you know, uh, not the rotten because the rotten is just Uriel. Um, but the possessed is basically all the people potentially around Uriel that are being controlled by this demon, this spirit, whatever the case may be, and being forced to do things. So, yeah, rule number six, do not shoot them with a firearm. <clears throat> and then rule number seven, grandma doesn't actually know. She she forgets the seventh rule, <clears throat> and Jimmy makes a joke of, well, rule number seven should just be don't forget the rules. And they just kind of jokingly leave it there. Later in the film, we actually find out what the seventh rule actually is. We find out from uh, the expert, and she lets them know that the seventh rule is don't be afraid to die. If you are afraid to die, the demon is going to fuck with you. He's not going to kill you right away, as our uh, our specialist kind of implies. No, he's going to fuck with you. He's going to fuck with your family. He's going to fuck with everybody around you because you are scared to die. She even makes the comment at one point that if you're the kind of person who's scared to fall into a hole, the demon will make a hole appear below you just to fuck with you. It, it's basically, it's very much like, you know, it. It's a fear-based, you know, demonic possession. So there's the seven rules. Now, at this point, as they're driving, um, the grandmother's phone goes off. Uh, like I said, Pedro and Jimmy have kept nothing from their house. So they don't have cell phones. They don't have money. They don't have anything. They literally, they just have the clothes on their back. And at this point, they've both already changed. So they literally have nothing from the town that they came from. Um, shit, what was my point? They were, what were they driving to after that? Oh, they were just, oh, right, 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 I'm sorry. Um, grandma's cell phone goes off, and on the screen it says that it's Sabrina, the woman that Pedro just watched get plastered up to the wall. So, basically, 
uh, Pedro knows that that's not Sabrina because he literally just watched her die. So he grabs the phone out of his grandmother's hand, stops the car, gets out of the car because he doesn't want to, in case it's, you know, somebody fucking with him, he doesn't want to get upset in front of his kids. He answers the phone and it is Sabrina. We hear her voice. And she basically, it's it's very expected the conversation at first she's like yelling where are my boys they need me you can't take Yair out of here he needs his medication you know this blah 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 eventually the conversation starts getting a little twisted and then we hear the voice of Sabrina start saying you're so fucking weak this is why I cheated on you because you're a nothing you're a nobody and she even starts talking about how she fucked everybody in the town she's like I gave myself to everyone because you're such a bitch and she starts talking about how I know where you are and I'm coming for my children blah 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 Obviously, Pedro gets upset, throws the phone on the ground, it shatters into pieces. Jimmy sees this and comes out and asks, you know, what's going on, blah, blah, blah. You know, was it Sabrina? Was she mad? Blah, blah, blah. And then this is when Pedro admits to Jimmy, I watched Sabrina die. That couldn't have been her on the phone. It had to be something else, (laughs) quote, unquote, something else. So they decide to keep going. Um, Obviously, they don't have any money at this point, but uh, Jimmy has a friend, and this is Myrta. This is our, basically, our our supernatural expert. Um, He basically says that she lives out in the outskirts, you know. uh, It'll be on the way for us, uh, but it won't be, you know, it won't be too much farther. And that potentially she'll, A, be able to help us out and maybe give us a place to stay, and B, give us the money. Because don't forget, at this point, nobody really has any money. Grandma has a little bit of money on her, but she didn't expect to be going on a long road trip. So, of course, it's not like she's got a roll of cash with her. So they end up going to Mirda's house. Uh, We later find out that Jimmy and Mirda had a relationship relationship years ago um apparently they were together they dated i don't know what but it's implied that they were together because jimmy talks about hey i was young and stupid and she was young and blah 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 so at this point we find out that marta or mirda mirda m-i-r-t-a not marta mirda is a cleaner her and her husband are cleaners and they actually know exactly what's going on she instantly is like, you know, she starts telling stories about how her husband would go off to go, you know, uh, basically kill one of these possessed and then come home. Uh, She talks about how, well, one day he went uh, to a cleaning and never came back. And she understood basically what happened. She didn't even question. I don't think they're implying that the the, the cleaner that got cut in half at the beginning of the movie is her husband. I think because I think her husband died, you know, a lot earlier. But she does say that basically, yeah, he went on a cleaning job and never came back. At this point, Mirda lets him know that she does know how uh, to stop this. And basically, what's happening? She explains what's happening. The possessed, Uriel himself, isn't necessarily the danger. The danger is inside of him. Basically, if anything happens to Uriel, such as he dies in a way outside of being cleaned by a cleaner, that it will birth evil, evil incarnate. Literally, the the manifestation of evil will be birthed into the world and that the shit is going to hit the fan if that happens. So... At this point, uh, 
it's the evening. They're at Myrda's house. They're kind of just kind of, you know, they're, they're, they're resting, trying to figure out what the next move is. And then suddenly Sabrina shows up. Yes. Mom shows up. Um, basically she somehow gets into the house and goes up to the room where Santino and grandma are sleeping. She actually grabs Santino out of the bed and starts holding him like a loving mother would just, you know, uh, you know, holding him up in a, in a, in a tight embrace. And then grandma wakes up and sees that it's Sabrina. Now she's not wearing her glasses, so she can't really see ultra well. And she's already taken sleeping pills. So she's a little groggy already. But she can tell that it's the basic visage of Sabrina. But then suddenly Sabrina turns around and looks at Grandma, and half her face is basically torn off. That literally it's just missing. And Grandma kind of freaks out, runs downstairs, gets uh, Pedro and Jimmy, lets them know that I thought it was Sabrina. I thought Sabrina was coming here to get her kids, but that thing was not Sabrina. I, I don't know what it was. And she just basically tells Pedro, there's somebody still upstairs with, uh, San, uh, yeah, with Santino. So, of course, Joel, this kind of bothered me that Joel didn't, like, run up the stairs. He kind of takes his sweet time going up the stairs like he's scared of something. Uh, and then when he walks into the bedroom, he sees Sabrina there. The lights are off, so we're kind of seeing everything in shadow and silhouette. But you can still tell that there's a large chunk of Sabrina's face missing. And she starts getting cryptic with Joel, basically saying, I came to get my kids because my kids need me. I'm going to take them somewhere where no one will ever harm them. And she actually repeats that like two or three times. I'm here for my kids because my kids need me. I'm going to take them somewhere where no one can ever harm them. Uh, Joel starts to make a move towards Sabrina, but Sabrina's right next to a window with a patio uh, up on the second or third floor of the house, and she ends up just j jumping off the fucking uh, banister or uh, the patio, whatever you want to call it, um, all the way down to the ground. We hear her land, but we don't see it. What we see is as soon as she jumps, uh, Pedro runs downstairs as fast as he can. He lets Jimmy and his mother know the crazy bitch jumped out the window with Santino in her hands. We got to find her. Of course, they go outside. No sign of Sabrina. No blood stain on the concrete. Nothing. They're just gone. Completely gone. So they decide to go and give chase. Uh, Pedro... Uh, jumps into uh, the truck with Mirta, and then uh, Jimmy, the brother, takes a different vehicle to go after uh, the sister, to go after, uh, excuse me, the mom, Sabrina, and, who's still holding Santino. At that moment, uh, basically, let's see, Pedro and Mirta decide to try to find where, uh, where Pedro thinks he left Uriel. And because they're they're going to go ahead and perform the cleansing themselves. Um, obviously, the body's not – because don't forget, they don't know where they dropped off the body because it fell out of the truck. But the, what they do find is an elementary school, and one of the most epic fucking lines of the movie, potentially of the year, is spoken by Myrta, where she sees the sign for the the elementary school, and she says, he's there. Let's go there. And Pedro's like, why? And she looks at him and says, evil likes children and children like evil. 
That fucking line gave me the chills when she fucking said that because there's truth to that statement. Sometimes little kids do some evil fucking shit. Maybe not with the intention of being evil, but obviously to misbehave is a natural uh, behavior for a child. So yeah. the way that she the way that she chalks it up and just says evil likes children and children like evil, I fucking love that line. Yeah, it's it's relatable. Just even even on like kind of just the surface level of saying kids are vulnerable things they don't quite fully comprehend or understand. So yeah, there's a lot of truth to that. Absolutely, yeah. So at this point, they decide to go to the elementary school. Um, again, Mirta reminds him, "Don't use electronics. Do not separate from me. We have to stay together. If they separate us, it's going to be easier to take us out." So just stay together. Um, they end up going into the elementary school. They start searching around. Uh, you know, everything is empty. But then finally they get to a classroom where all the desks are filled. There's kids. They're all standing there. Now, there's obviously something wrong with these kids because they all look pale, kind of disheveled. Some of them have, like, blood stains on their lips. Um, but they're not, not speaking. They're just kind of sitting there. Finally, someone, Mirta, I believe, asks them, where is it? She doesn't even say, you know, she, she's speaking to them like they know exactly which, the, the information that she wants. And she says, where is it? Is it here? And the, the little girl in front kind of shakes her head, no, no, it, it's not here. And then Mirta asks, do you know, can you tell me where it is? And again, the little girl shakes her head, no, I can't tell you where it is. They decide these kids aren't going to be helpful. They look around the rest of the school, but they don't find Uriel. Uh, so they just decide, okay, we're going to leave. As they're leaving, another kid shows up, a little boy on a bicycle, um, still pale, still disheveled looking. Um, and they're trying to ask him, where is it? Where is, where is, you know, it? They just say, where is it? And the kid's not answering them, just, you know, just kind of ignoring them, continues walking past them. As Pedro is literally yelling in his face, he keeps walking and then he goes into the school. Mirta at that point is like, well, these kids aren't going to help, so we, we need to find out where this guy is, blah, 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 where the body is. Eventually, the little boy, the same little boy, comes out and says, oh, uh, are you looking for Uriel? Like, he uses the name exactly, he, you know, and says, are you looking for Uriel? Pedro says, yes. The little kid says, oh, he's at the teacher's house, um, Mr. Cortez's house. Yes, my name is in this movie. I was very happy. Spelled incorrectly, but I'll take it. Uh, so the little kid, the little boy says that he's at Mr. Cortez's house. Um, the... Uh, basically, Pedro and Mirta jump into the truck. They're about to leave, but then one of the little girls from inside, the one that Mirta was talking to, runs out of the school and says, no, 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 he's lying. Um, that's not where he is. He's actually at my house. And instantly, Pedro is, just, at this point, he's just fucking sick of this shit. And he literally starts beating the shit out of this little girl. I'm not kidding. He's slapping the shit out of her. I don't know if he's punching her. It's almost implied, but he's at the very least slapping the shit out of her. And he starts yelling at her, I'm sick of you fucking kids lying to me. And he's literally beating the shit out of her. Finally, he stops. The little girl's on the ground. And that's when Mirta says to him, okay, stop. 
we've already had two kids tell us that Uriel is at two different places, so he's very obviously here. The kids are protecting the body. They don't want him found. They want, you know, like I said, like like she said earlier, children like evil. It's almost like they want the ultimate evil to be birthed. So they go back into the school, and uh, Pedro goes and stands, like, on the stage. They have, like, a little mini gymnasium in there that has, like, a stage. He jumps on the stage, and he realizes that the floorboards are loose. So he starts pulling floorboards off the floor, off the stage, and suddenly they find a body, and the body is covered with just this white powder, just completely covered. It's messy. And that's when the little girl then shows up and says, you know, it, it's the adults. It, uh, he made us kill them and then hide their body and, and, and cover them with lye or lime, whatever it is that she said to hide the smell, to basically hide that the bodies are under there. Obviously, Joel doesn't really want to believe anything this little girl's saying at this point. At the, uh, at the same time, Myrta is setting up her little machine. Another thing I like about this movie is that there's a distinct way to kill these possessed so that the uh, evil isn't released, but they never tell us how. We only see flashing glimpses of this weird machinery that Myrta's working with. Uh, and usually, you, you guys know, I like my explanation, I like my exposition, but I didn't miss it here. Like, it, it would have been cool to find out, or maybe to see like a flashback to actually see the equipment in action, something like that. But the fact that they don't give it to us doesn't hurt the movie at all to me. I'm very okay with the fact that we have no idea potentially how to deal with this thing. So uh, basically, um, the uh, Mirta basically tells him, start pulling out more floorboards. Maybe he's down in there with the rest of the bodies because they find multiple bodies down there, all of them covered with this lie to hide the smell. Um, Pedro's moving bodies. He finds an adult who's actually alive, but Mir says, like, I don't care. We're not here for them right now. We're here for Uriel. So he pulls uh, the body of a female teacher or, you know, just school employee of some kind. She's barely alive, but he pulls her out. But by pulling out her body, it exposes Uriel. Uriel is down in there. He's under all the dead bodies that are now covered with lye, which is why nobody was able to smell Uriel. I did forget to mention earlier that, I mean, I, I described what he looks like. Uh, you can just assume that there's an odor attached to that as well, because uh, Ruiz and Pedro do make comments earlier in the movie that he smells like death. Um, but obviously in this scene, they don't smell anything, and that's because he's hiding underneath lye-covered dead bodies. So finally they find uh, Uriel, but if you remember, I told you he was a gigantic, gelatinous human being that no one person could possibly move, but it's just Pedro and Mirta there. Mirta's still setting up the equipment, and she's telling him, and she's, she's not even telling, she's yelling at him, get him out of there. I don't care how. Get him the fuck out of there. Just go. And obviously Uriel's like 300-plus pounds Probably 150 pounds of that is just pus. <laughs> and um, eventually the little girl, the one who seemed like she was being helpful, ends up telling Pedro, oh, there's an axe in the office that you could use to, you know, get him out of there or whatever. Um, 
Mirta instantly is like, don't you dare leave me. Don't you dare leave this room. We have to stay together. Um, if, if you separate us, we're both in danger. Eventually, Pedro is just like, well, fuck it. I need that axe. Ends up leaving the room, going into the office. And then what we see is we see one of the little kids wrap wire around the door handles so that the door can't be opened. And then we hear Mirta screaming. We hear screaming. We hear her equipment getting thrown around, glass breaking, blah, blah, blah. Then what we see is Pedro finally looks through the door. Uh, there's a window in the door, and he sees the kid dragging Mirta's body out of there. But they're not just dragging her body out of there. The little girl who, you know, seemed like she was being helpful is literally hitting her in the head with the hammer. And my friends, there are no cuts. She is literally bashing this fucking hammer into Mirta's face as the other kids are dragging her out of the room, leaving a gigantic trail of blood outside or, you know, that leading outside of the school. Eventually, Pedro is able to free himself from the office. Um, he knew it was a trap instantly because when he walked in, the axe was gone. Uh, the axe was supposed to be in the fire, you know, the red firebox, and it was gone. So, yeah, he instantly knew that he got fucked over. And now Mirta's dead and just getting deader because she's she still has a little bit of life in her. But this girl just smashing this goddamn hammer into her face. Uh, I shouldn't be laughing this much, but I'm a sick individual, so it's okay. Uh, and then eventually Joel is alone. The kids have dragged Mirta's body out of the school. And as soon as they went out of sight, they disappeared. They're literally gone. Joel, literally as soon as they left his sight, he walked into the room that they had just walked into and they're gone. Mirta's body's gone. The kids are gone. Everybody's gone. Joel turns around and sees Uriel sticking his head out of the stage going, Pedro, kill me. Come on, kill me. He's literally and, – and I forgot to mention that Uriel has actually been doing this throughout the movie. He's been egging people on to kill him. So obviously he knows what happens when his physical body dies. At this point, Joel is by himself. He's all fucked up, and he just says, fuck it. He grabs a piece of the equipment that Mirta was going to use to kill uh, Uriel, and he starts smashing his fucking head, and all my friends, the image of Uriel's, Uriel's head caving in as Pedro is bashing this piece of equipment in his face is fucking brilliant. It looks so good. Uh, so anyway... Uh, Pedro successfully kills Uriel. Uriel falls back down uh, under the stage. And then we start hearing the sound of flesh tearing. Unfortunately, we don't see it. But like I said, we hear the sound of flesh tearing. And then suddenly we see this little kid rise up from the stage and walk off the stage. And I say little kid, he's probably like, I don't know, somewhere in the 10 to 12. 12-year-old range. He's older than the kids in the school that are helping him out, but, you know, he's still basically a child. He's completely naked, he's bald, and he's completely covered in blood. About the only thing that's really different is that his eyes are red. I actually had to pause and rewind. His eyes are like a, a burgundy color. Um, very fucking evil looking. And the kid... 
you know, evil incarnate as, you know, it's been set up throughout the movie, just kind of looks at Pedro and smiles at him and then walks away. But as he walks away, he walks by Pedro and he kind of rubs his fingers up Pedro's forehead, leaving like three blood stains, like blood lines on his forehead. Pedro's like, I don't know what the hell's going on. And we just see... We see the bloody kid walk away, and then all the school kids are basically following behind them. A couple of them are actually skipping, like they're happy, blah, blah, blah. And that's the last that we see of Evil Incarnate. Uh, We get our one last final scene, and that's basically Pedro going back uh, to Mirta's house, uh, you know, thinking that there would be a bunch of people there waiting for him. Unfortunately, the only... Oh, wait a minute. Did I... Oh, shit. I skipped a major, major scene. I'm so sorry. Maybe I should leave it alone. Because that's the image that I was talking about that's going to stay with me. (laughs) Holy shit. Let's just say Sabrina does one of the most fucked up things to her own son that I've ever seen in a film. And I'm going to leave it at that. Because that's something... That image is something that needs to be experienced. It is horrific. It is heartbreaking. It's puke-inducing. I mean, it's literally potentially one of the greatest single images of horror in years. So I'm going to leave it at that since I ended up missing it. Um, It doesn't have a huge bearing on the rest of the movie. Um, But yeah, uh, Jimmy witnesses something that no human being should ever have to witness. So like I said, I'm going to leave it at that. So our final scene is Pedro going back home, um, hoping that everyone is still there. Unfortunately, Jimmy is basically just there with uh, Yair, with the autistic son. And, you know, he's basically acting like everything is normal. He he takes a shower. Um, He gives Yair here's some ice cream to kind of sate him for a little bit so that he can then go and take a shower. He ends up taking a shower, but when he comes out of the shower, the three lines, the three bloodlines that the evil incarnate child left on his forehead don't wash off. He's literally there rubbing it with his hand, then with a towel. It's not coming off. So Pedro is fucking marked. Whatever that means is up to your interpretation since we don't get any kind of explanation. So then Pedro gets out of the shower and joins Yair, who's in the living room or in the kitchen, eating his ice cream, his apple ice cream, as he's been um, crying about all the entire movie. And then Yair starts to choke. And he's like, um, Pedro's like, how can you don't eat your ice cream so fast? You're choking. Finally, Pedro walks over to Yair and starts, like, he, he puts his fingers down Yair's throat to see if he's choking on something other than ice cream. And suddenly Yair coughs up blood. Fucking a big old thing of blood. And Dad starts to get frantic, and he starts digging in Yair's mouth. And the first thing he pulls out is a patch of hair. Um, a, just a big old patch of bloody hair. And then finally, Yair spits up a gold necklace that has a golden crucifix on it. Yes, my friends, Yair has ingested his grandmother. And obviously we didn't get to see it. Um, I forgot to mention earlier that it it was implied that the possessed do kind of consume 
people. They consume their loved ones, which is uh, part of the scene that I didn't talk about because it's almost too hard to talk about. But, yeah, um, basically the big reveal at the end is that Yair has consumed his grandmother. And earlier in the film when Mirta made the accusation that Yair is possessed, but everybody was like, no, no, he's autistic. He always acts like that. Nope. Mirta was correct, my friends. Yair was possessed and ate his goddamn grandmother. The movie then ends with Pedro walking out of the house, falling to his, falling to his knees and just sobbing loudly. Just he's, uh, The camera's kind of panned far away, so we don't hear it as much. But, yeah, he's screaming. He's beating, beating the ground. And the movie fades to mm-hmm. black. And that's when evil lurks. Just one of, one of the most visceral experiences definitely of the last year for me since the sadness. And this movie isn't nearly – I've already mentioned the sadness multiple times in this review. This movie isn't nearly as gory as the sadness. Like the sadness really leans into its gore and its, you know, its crazy kills. This movie still – like the most memorable parts of this movie are going to be the kills. But it's not like – Death after death after death after death, you know, like the sadness. This one is definitely a, a little bit um, more paced when it comes to its death scenes. But the death scenes are so goddamn intense. They stay with you for a long time. So there you go, my friends. My number one film of 2023 so far. Yeah, and to me, the ending, it was just signifying that they basically failed in what they were trying to prevent yeah. to happen. Like, there's not much... I mean, you could say it's ambiguous because technically we don't get to see, like, evil incarnate, like, go out and, like, I guess, with the aftermath. So you could there's potentially more to show, but basically we got what we needed to at the end by just saying, yeah, uh, they did not dispose properly and they will suffer the consequence and that's that's why I kind of found it like Fulci-esque because like you know there's Fulci movies where at the end sometimes the people that live they live but they go on to live like a cursed life or some type of like event that they that they were trying to stop that they couldn't stop even if if they personally are living um so it's almost like that apocalyptic ramification that is now going to happen that they failed to stop yes yes very similar to demons you know fulci's demons um i also found some similarities with like i'm sorry baba and um hitchcock's the birds too it has kind of that because uh, if you guys remember the birds, they don't actually stop the birds. They just they kind of drive into the sunset, but there's just still thousands of birds just kind of staring at them as they're driving away. So, yeah, definitely that sense of something major is going to happen after this movie ends. And sadly, we're not going to get to see it. But ultimately, what we saw in almost every instance, be it demons, the birds, or when evil lurks, what we saw leading up to the end is so satisfying that, you know, maybe I can live without the, the eventual rampage that evil incarnate is going to go on. And I also, you know, made the suggestion that maybe he doesn't do that. Maybe he decides to take the long road and kind of, you know, infect little towns here and there at a very slow pace. I mean, don't forget the greatest trick the devil ever played was convincing us he doesn't exist. 
So it, there's definitely a possibility there that he doesn't just go on a rampage killing everybody, but that he takes it slower and almost like he's playing with his food, if you will. You know, fuck with people, especially like we said earlier, if you're afraid to die, this thing is going to fuck with you. So, you know, uh, the, rule number seven, don't be afraid to die, which as humans is almost impossible. Uh, how could we not be afraid to die? We're, we're mortal. You know, we, we we have a limited time on this uh, plane. So it's like, yeah, we're all afraid to die. I don't want to die. I'm an old man. I still don't want to die. Fuck. <laughs> so, yeah, that definitely the implied horror of what happens after the film um, is a big part of it, is a big part of the enjoyment of this film, too. You know, you don't feel like you got ripped off, like there's a lot more story to tell. But just if you let your mind just kind of run away with it, it yeah. The, some of the shit, I mean, some of the shit that you can come up with your, in your head is probably going to be better than what a filmmaker can put on celluloid. So, yeah, enjoy this one, my friends. This is a special film that we don't we don't get films like this very often. Um, and ultimately, even with like like with this and the sadness last year, it's not for everybody. These movies aren't for everyone. You have to have a certain mentality, a certain acceptance of violence towards children and animals. I've already said this movie is not scared to kill kids and animals on screen. So just know that going into it. If that's something that's going to bother you, stay away from this movie. Otherwise, embrace this movie with open arms because I think it's fucking brilliant. And I'm done. Yeah, <laughs> and enjoy enjoy the ride of not always having something or some things like 100, 100% laid out and explained through exposition. Sometimes you just got to be happy with the breadcrumbs that the script is giving you and get a general picture of the build of these characters and let that um, inform you of why they kind of make the decisions that they make. Because yep. far too often I think some people – want things like 100% explain when it's not really necessary for the story. And this is a good example. This, we, I think we're given everything we need to, to, to follow along with the events of the movie. And the last thing I'll say is because it's hitting Shutter on the 27th, it's going to be eligible for people's 31 and 31 days if, for all the people yeah. doing it. So if you, get to, if you get to the home stretch of the month and you – don't have everything mapped out or you're kind of looking over your list like, yeah, I wouldn't mind swapping this out for something, watch this movie as part of it because it's like the perfect movie to watch in the home stretch of October. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, man. It's going to leave you feeling things you haven't felt in a long time. <laughs> it's what it did for me, so yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, with that said, yeah, it's – uh it's all love for this movie, so we'll leave it there, although we don't have to. We will. Um, so let's find out if there's anything else new from any of us. So, Venom, uh, what's uh, the latest and greatest? Uh, nothing new from me. My guest spot on Cuts of the Chase was postponed, so that'll be happening. Fingers crossed it'll be happening later this week. Um as far as No More Room in Hell presents Creature Comforts, episode 17, I think, is still our latest episode where we looked at 20 million miles to Earth. We do have our next episode, our next movie picked out. It may not happen in October, sadly, just because, obviously, we're all horror movie podcasters in October. October is October, so 
Um, hopefully we can get an episode out, but if not, expect it uh, early November for our next episode of uh, Creature Comforts and... Obviously, the main show, uh, Mike finally did put out our latest episode where we looked at my picks, and with my picks, I decided to do a, a pair of Ryuhei uh, Kitamura's films, so we looked at 2000's Versus and 2003's Origami. Not Origami, the Japanese art of folding paper, but Origami, A-R-A. Uh, and that movie, both movies actually are available on YouTube. So if you want to check those out before the episode, go ahead and do so. Otherwise, check out our episode. And I think that's about all I have. I haven't recorded any. Oh, no, I do have one more thing. Ha <laughs> ha. Uh, I did an episode, uh, one of the side episodes for the Cinema Beef podcast with Gary Hill. I believe the side cast is called um, Burnt Ends. Uh, yeah, Burnt Ends. Uh, and, and that's basically where we just, like, Gary and, like, one other host will get together and just talk about one movie. Uh, we actually did two episodes together, and Gary decided this month to do surf movies and kind of, you know, curtail the expected, you know, horror movies in October, and he's doing all surf movies. So I was able to join him on reviews for Surf Nazis Must Die, one of my favorite trauma movies, and Surf 2. Um, what is it? The end of the trilogy. <laughs> kind of a silly title. There is no Surf 1 and there is no trilogy. That's literally just the name of the movie. Surf 2, the end of the trilogy. This one stars um, Eddie Deaton, uh, you know, everybody's favorite nerd, as our villain who is creating surf zombies. And I'm going to leave it at that because I had never heard of that movie before Gary brought it up. And it actually turns out to be a, kind of a guilty pleasure, kind of fun, silly little zombie movie. Uh, so check that out. And, yeah, that's it from me. All right. Let's go on over to Don. Yeah, I, I don't have much. Uh, the only thing for me is uh, season two of Horror Countdown. So, yeah, go ahead and uh, give those old episodes a listen. Um probably going to be another uh, month or two before I uh, start looking to uh, relaunch it for season three, but uh, yeah, just for right now, season two. Don's just enjoying okay. his October. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as far as me, yeah, Venom already mentioned the latest episode of No More Room in Hell is out, so check that out. Um, our Exorcist Believer episode actually is was out... It's, it's kind of it was it was the YouTube version was up like pretty much right away, but the the posting on Dark Discussions was kind of so depending on how people listen to it, uh, maybe they've already checked it out, maybe they just saw the post like a few days ago, so that that's I'll, I'll count that as a recent release, and then um, be on the lookout for obviously the other episode we're doing this week on VHS. 85. If you're listening right now, then you'll probably see that within a day or two of this show or this episode being released. Other than that, I also have my Frozen Chills episode coming up. I would imagine that it's probably close to being scheduled because I am doing a part two of a movie and the person who has part one has secured the physical copy. So I'd imagine they'll schedule there soon and then it'll lead to me with mine. And then all I got, Elsa, it's not out yet, but we do 
know our movie and tentative schedule for our annual Halloween commentary special, uh, No More Room in Hell. So that should be recording in about a week's time. I th- I think if I'm looking at my calendar, I am not even looking at the calendar, actually. It's a calendar in my yes. head, I'll say. I think that's a week, right, next Saturday? A week from today, literally, yeah. Okay, yeah. All right. So all goes well with that. That'll also be coming, um, yeah, in, in about a week. So that's all I got. Um, like I said, VHS 85 is next. So thanks to everybody for listening to this episode. It's time to get out of here um, and go find out if evil is lurking in our neighborhood. So uh, let's say bye to our listeners. Later. I have nothing witty to say, so I'm just going to say bye. <laughs> How, I guess when disposing a possessed body, follow the rules if you know them. <laughs> like, yeah. if, follow if, the if, rules. If you don't know the rules, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if, if you don't know the rules, I guess I can give you an, uh, an exception, but hey, if you know the rules, follow them. It'll, it'll do everybody a solid. Yep. <laughs> Later. <laughs>